You are listening to the Patriot Pastors Podcast, where we talk about today's issues from a pastor's perspective, as well as calling America back to the faith of our fathers. Without God, democracy will not and cannot long endure. We ever forget that we're one nation under God, then we will be a nation gone under. Here's your host, Wade Lentz and Harold Smith. Welcome to the Patriot Pastor Podcast. My name's Harold Smith, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Pastor Wade Lentz, and we have got a topic that I think fits both the Patriot and the Pastor side of things very well. I think we've got something that may cause you to uh, give God thanks for the founding and the creation, and you might be able to see his hand working in the creation of our democratic republic known as the United States of America. Mm-hmm. You as excited as I am, Wade? I am. You know, not only am I excited because it's now 2023. Can you believe that? I can't. It, I don't know if we should be excited or what, but we've made I, it this far, man. I'm disappointed. I thought we were supposed to have electric cars. <laughs> Wait a minute, we got electric cars. I thought they were supposed to fly. Right. <laughs> That's what they did on the Jetsons, right? That's right. Wow. But yeah, I am excited about this uh, podcast episode as we think about the providence of God. Y- you know, we hear that phrase, uh, we need to make America great again. Uh, I-, I think we need to make the word providence great again. Uh, unfortunately, most people today, even within the, the realm of the church, do not know the word providence. Uh, they don't appreciate it. Exactly. I'm, I'm all, I've always thought about this joke where the lady's in a hurry and she's driving, let's say, to Walmart. And she's like, Lord, let me have a parking spot up front, up real close up to the front so I can get in and get out. And never mind, Lord, I found it. Yeah. You know, she's like, uh-huh. she doesn't need to pray because she found it on her own. Well, that's providence yes. that opens things up. And we should thank God for providence just as much as we thank him for the things that we do pray for and receive. Absolutely. We hear a lot about, we talk a lot about, about the sovereignty of God and rightfully so God is sovereign. He is in absolute control. However, think about the sovereignty of God. That could just be a cold control, but God as our creator is also our sustainer and he has, uh, he has a plan. I, let me give you a, a really quick definition from Lewis Burkhoff of the word providence. He says, providence is that work of God in which he preserves all his creatures, is active in all that happens in the world, and directs all things to their appointed end. We could say that that God's providence is the outworking of God's sovereignty in his preserving, his governing, and his working through uh, various circumstances, even in man's decisions to bring about his determined purposes. And as we think about God's providence, really one of the key verses in this Bible verses, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 11 says, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to his counsel of his will. That right there is divine providence. And when you think about the founding of our nation, you think about all the battles, um, how we came to be as a United States of America. Providence is written all 
over that. Yeah. If you were to lay it all on paper and take it to Vegas and say, okay, what's the odds that the Patriots overthrow the largest military power on the world at this time? What is the odds a group of backwoods people living on a continent just across the Atlantic from mm-hmm. the British government? The British Navy was the largest Navy. They just defeated France and Spain. They had just won basically a world war and had had put down all of their enemies. And then they start taxing these colonies and the colonists in America are like, we can't pay any more taxes. We're overtaxed. And they, in order to bring them into subjection, they make the measures worse. And so both sides keep escalating and then war breaks out. And I mean, with the declaration of independence, Mm -hmm. this is a death sentence for the men that wrote that. Yes. And they said, you know, we pledge our lives, our, our, our treasure. I mean, it was basically everything they owned. They Mm -hmm. sunk it into this. And then the only way you can explain America's winning this revolutionary war, the only way you can explain it is divine providence. There's no other way. If God didn't intervene and do some miraculous works, America doesn't come to existence. Exactly. Exactly. And we think about the first president of the United States. Just look at his life alone. Look at his the battles. I tell you what, why don't you share with us some of the uh, details of some of the battles that he, he fought and won? You know, we are all familiar with Washington crossing the Delaware. Whether we understand what happened there, we've seen a picture of Washington in the front of a rowboat with big icebergs floating <laughs> down a river. Right. Men kind of hanging. It almost looks like a Noah's Ark picture, but it's soldiers hanging out of the ark. And yeah. Washington's on the front. Well, in reality, what was taking place at that time was that was December 26th, the day after Christmas. The war was over. Washington was on the other side of the Delaware. The German Hessians were across the Delaware from him, and the British were back towards New York. They were to the north, so everything was kind of like, okay, we're setting in for winter. Washington's men were starving. They, they didn't have clothing. They were short on gunpowder. They, they didn't have food. I mean, these men were literally at the lowest physical condition of the war, and to make matters worse, most of their reenlistments were going to come up at the first of the year. So Washington mm-hmm. had a couple of days left that these men were going to be there. And he said, look, man, I, I can't let you all leave. Now all Washington had done to this point in the war is retreat, retreat, retreat. He's just tactically withdrawn. Yeah. And so he offers these men the equivalent in today's money of something like three or $400. If you'll re up for another month, mm-hmm. just give me a month. Just, just get me to the end of January. So, I mean, it's kind of iffy whether they're going to re-up. And so they they say, okay, you know, you want to have one one more war? Okay, we'll do it. So the, his men re-up. They get all the longboats in the area. He gets his entire army across the Delaware, which has got icebergs floating down. I mean, it's the most dangerous night maneuver you could possibly come up with. They cross over the Delaware. They surprise attack Trenton, New Jersey. And by surprise attack, I mean, Trenton has no idea. They, these men are waking up out of bed. There's hollering and colonial troops, Washington's troops are marching through the streets. And I mean, surprise attack takes down all of these paid Hessian soldiers. And that's why Britain was winning. They had had mercenaries working with them. Mm -hmm. So this is a major victory. Washington just storms them, captures all these troops, gets supplies, 
And so General Clinton, the British general, says, oh, okay, now you want to fight. So Clinton begins marching his troops down to meet Washington, thinking Washington's taken Trenton and he's going to dig in. And so Washington, and this is a stroke of genius on Washington's part. Yeah. He's got all these sick and starving men that are half frostbitten, can't march. He says, you guys can't go with us. Stay here. Keep throwing wood on the fire, clang shovels and stuff together because the British are watching us in the dark and they're wanting to make sure whether we're leaving or staying, make them think that we're building fires all night and we're digging in to fight in the morning. Mm -hmm. So the British are all lining up in the dark. They're moving their men down. Washington, on the other hand, takes all the able-bodied men, goes upstream of the Delaware, crosses over, and it has a surprise attack on Princeton behind enemy lines. So they're all getting ready to take Trenton back. Washington's like, you can have Trenton. I'm going to go get Princeton. And so he has the numbers. He has the element of surprise. But the problem is Washington is meeting here, not a group of sleeping uh, Hessians, but here he's meeting a well-oiled British detachment who are seasoned veteran fighters. And so when Washington is is directing um, the movements of the field, he finds that General Caldwell is being pushed back by a real uh, fierce group of British soldiers. And as Caldwell's line is reforming, and, and I'm getting this about... Um, I'm getting this off George Washington's Mount Vernon website under 10 facts of the Battle of Princeton. As Caldwell's line is reforming, Washington rides up aside these men on a magnificent white horse amidst musket balls flying around in a retreat where they're all in disarray. And Washington coolly assures his soldiers, parade on with us, brave fellows. There is but a handful of the enemy and we shall have them directly. There wasn't a handful of the enemy. This was a large force. It wasn't a small group. The article goes on to say, Washington then proceeded to lead the militia forward from the front. He, at one point, was only 30 yards from the British line. Easy musket range. 30 yards is bow range for the Mm -hmm. average deer hunter. John Fitzgerald, one of Washington's officers, reportedly pulled his hat over his eyes, expecting to see the general shot from the saddle at any moment. Despite his proximity, Washington remained uninjured and in his galvanizing presence, stabilized the American line at a critical moment in the battle. And soon Washington, along with the fresh reinforcements, were chasing the remnants of this brigade into the fields and woods. I want you to just picture what happened here. You've got a line of British soldiers that is just demoralizing and sending the the, the uh, colonialists in retreat. Washington rides up and says, hey, man, shape it up. Let's get in line. And instead of saying, y'all go get them, Washington rides his horse around front and says, follow me, men. Mm-hmm. And so here's a guy that's 6'2", over 200 pounds, riding on a bright wide horse, and he's got four stars on the corners of his jacket. Everybody knows who he is. At 30 yards, you could you could identify him. So you know for a fact every British soldier that is on the other side of that line is taking a fine bead at George Washington, a giant of a man on a white horse. Yes. And when the smoke clears, he's still going forward. His men are still how in the world do you not die there? <laughs> That's amazing. That is truly amazing story. It's, it's, it's almost like when Bugs Bunny would put his finger in Yosemite Sam's pistol because he couldn't hit him. Yeah. You know? 
<laughs> I mean, yeah. I'm not trained soldiers. Right. God is the only reason Washington didn't fall off that horse stone cold dead. Right. Right. I, and I tell you, it, it, it goes back even before that many years. And maybe the reason why George Washington was so confident was because of what happened about 20 years prior when he was fighting for the British Army during the French Indian War. There was a particular battle, the Battle of Monongahela. Uh, it's kind of a hard name to say for an Arkansas boy. I'm not but, fooling Indian either way. Don't worry. Yeah, I don't speak good Indian. But uh, anyway, in that battle, uh, this is what is said concerning him. In, in one battle, even though he had four bullet holes in his jacket, bullet fragments in his hair, and had two horses shot out from underneath him, he was not wounded. That's remarkable. And the people thought, man, this guy is bulletproof. Yeah. You know, uh, like you said, th these are trained marksmen. These are trained soldiers. Uh, when you have bullet fragments in your hair and you have bullet fragment, bullet holes in your jacket, you've been, you've been hit. You're just not yeah. my flesh. Yeah. So. And usually when bullets start whizzing by people, you know, they're getting close. Bullets are hitting all around you. People tend to want to hunker down. They want to take cover. They want to retreat. Uh, let's wait for artillery to catch up. You know, let's let's mm -hmm. just hold up here until things settle down. The thing about Washington, and he wasn't always in the front line. I mean, four-star generals don't lead, you know, bayonet charges, okay? Right, right. But the fact that he was not afraid to do that, the fact that he was, you know, felt like, hey, this is my duty. This is what must happen in order for us to advance. I must lead these men. And he took that serious and he went out and did it. And mm -hmm. you know, the, from the, the battles you're talking about in, in the, the French Indian War, the Indians almost felt like Washington was bulletproof. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's reports of, you know, certain Indians in that battle saying, look, I personally shot at the guy. I think one of them said, Shot at him 13 times, couldn't hit him. And it wasn't because <laughs> no. Washington was, you know, doing a barrel roll. He was riding on a horse, <laughs> standing in the battlefield. And yeah. he just, I mean, you have to, at some point in time, just back up and say, look, God preserved George Washington. Absolutely. God preserved him for a purpose, and God used him for that purpose. Yes. And whether you want to say God created America, I say this, God raises up every nation. God tears down every nation. That's no right. nation rules against his will, but the miraculous around George Washington and the miraculous in the entire battle of the revolutionary war ought to cause us to at least say, okay, you know, without the hand of God, none of this happens Absolutely. on paper. This don't add up on paper. These guys should have faltered and fallen. This should have been crushed as a small rebellion mm -hmm. yeah and we think about all the uh miraculous ways in which he survived you know gunshots and things like, like that but he also survived a lot of illness yeah. uh, he, he was a sickly man or at least in our definition but well, he survived here's the here's the thing about washington as a child he was very sick and i remember from going to mount vernon which is his his uh, plantation and home uh, there on the James, oh, the James River. I can't remember the Potomac. That's where it's at, mm -hmm. Potomac River. Anyways, I, I remember reading about as a child he was sick a lot, but he continued to grow and he grew out of it. But he sickness was just a common thing in the 1700s. 
And so yeah. I, I'm reading here an account of George Washington's illnesses. And let me just read you this, this couple of paragraphs. Normally, if you're reading about someone in the 1700s contracting tuberculosis, dysentery, pneumonia, malaria, smallpox, or diphtheria, it's because that's how they died. Mm-hmm. Not only did Washington survive all these conditions, he knew the dangers of them and was the first general to inoculate his army against smallpox. Now, inoculation is different from vaccination. Inoculation is where you put the they put the scab of cowpox on an open wound of a soldier because cowpox was less dangerous than smallpox. And you built up immunity to cowpox. It took you a couple of days. And then you were pretty much immune or able to fight off smallpox. Mm-hmm. Washington, we don't think that he ever contracted smallpox, or we don't know that he did, but we knew he took the inoculation for it. But imagine with 1700s medical treatment, we're talking about putting leeches on you to draw the right. blood out. Yeah. He contracts diphtheria, tuberculosis, dysentery. I mean, he had dysentery for quite a long time, and that killed more people during the Civil War. Than the battles did Mm -hmm. just to survive the amount of illness that he had to live, to be an old man. Yes. Amazing. It is amazing. And, and again, it's just a, another, uh, hand of the providence of God upon our country, especially in the, in the early years. Uh, and, and they, they, our forefathers recognized that they recognized this. And if you read the founding documents, You'll find that word providence seen time and time again, even in our state government. I, I would encourage maybe your, uh, our listeners to, to read your state constitution. See if you can't find, uh, the, the term providence in that. Uh, for instance, the drafters of the American, uh, Americans Declaration of Independence, uh, finished the document by calling God providence, capital P. The last sentence of the Declaration of Independence says, and for the support of this declaration with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. There you go. Now, that was uh, the Declaration of Independence. Um, Again, those early founding documents saturated with God, the providence of God. Harold, what, what would a founding document or a document today, if it was written by today's leaders, what would it look like? It would be, I'd hate to, I'd hate to read it. It would be anti-God. And look, I I don't want to sugarcoat this. I don't think, you know, all these founding fathers would have made great Sunday school teachers. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying they were all biblical theologians, but there is a big difference between someone who will recognize deity, that there is a God, I mean, you know, maybe they're um, an agnostic. They believe there is a God. They believe he's in control, but they can't know him. Having a recognition that there is a God is drastically different from people who say there is no God. Mm -hmm. The Bible is clear. Only the fool says in his heart there's no God. So for someone to recognize, yes, indeed, there is a God. He is in control. Our country would be better off if our people recognized there was a higher power Instead of spending their time, their energies, and their money trying to disprove any zim- any resemblance of a God. 
That's They're right. Doing this with uh, evolution, you know, we're trying to save the planet because it's not God's planet. You know, we we've got to do all this. There's no God. All this happened by chance and circumstance. And boy, wouldn't it wouldn't it be mm-hmm. bad if we ruined it? Right. Right. And so today's politicians, today's leaders, if you were to let them craft a document, there would be no recognition of God because it's the old atheist mantra. And I, I picked this up from um, who's the guy that does the uh, way of the master, the street preacher, evangelist guy. What's his name? Ray Comfort. Ray Comfort. Ray Comfort said something one time, and I'll never forget it. He said, there's two tenets of atheism. There is no God, and I hate him. Yeah. And and if you think Boy. about that, yeah. if there is no God, why do you hate him? That's you right. Know, he, Ray Comfort went on to say, people don't get mad at the tooth fairy. They don't get mad at the leprechauns. They don't get mad at, at unicorns because those things don't exist. They don't yes. get mad at Santa Claus. They know they don't exist. They get mad at God because they know he does exist. Mm-hmm. Our forefathers knew that God existed and it caused them to tremble. It caused them to recognize if God, this supreme being, this creator and sustainer of all things, if he's not on our side, we're fighting in, in error. We're not going to make it. Yes. If we just had leaders today that feared God, it would change how they deprive man, how they steal That's from right. us. If they knew that one day they would stand before this God and be held accountable. Yes. But instead, they've convinced themselves there is no God, and I hate him, and I'm not accountable to him, and that's why we're in the shape we're in. Whether mm-hmm. Washington was a was a great Christian or whether he just believed in a supreme being that was above him, I do not believe Thomas Jefferson was a Christian. Right. But he believed right. that there was a God. Sure. And yes. if we simply had that general understanding, our country would be miles ahead of where it is today. Yes. Yeah. The, our, our country has, is really living in a, living in a post Christian society. And, uh, and I agree, not every, certainly not all our, of our founding fathers were Christian. Uh, many were deist, but nevertheless, Christian and non-Christian alike back in that day had a high view of God. Yeah. And, uh, that made a huge difference, uh, morally speaking, uh, uh, Ben Franklin was a, he was a rounder (laughs) if you knew, if you read a little bit of of his life, but, uh, he, you know, he knew in matter of fact, in that first continental congressional prayer, he recognized that God governs the affairs of men. Now here's a man that's, yeah, he's not a Christian, but yet he recognizes that there is a higher authority than he is and a higher authority than the King of England. And this higher authority is governing the affairs of man. Now, how do we apply this to our heart and life as individuals? Well, we recognize that even in our lives, the difficult things, the horrible things, certainly the good things are all God's way of providentially allowing things for a reason and for, for purpose. Romans 8.28 says it tremendously. If you want to know what the uh, providence of God is, it's Romans eight twenty eight. God works all things. He causes all things for the good to them that love him and who are called according to his purpose. So, uh, yeah, the word providence, sadly, is a word that is almost distinct. Or in, uh, what's the word? Extinct. That's the word. 
Antique, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's an a, archaic an word that's archaic no word. used today. Yeah, even even in, in the realm of the church. Yeah. You ask somebody about the providence of God, and they don't know. It is a beautiful isn't doctrine. A, isn't that the capital of Rhode Island, Providence? Exactly. See, you, 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 you know. know. And, and a Christian gave it that name because he was it was Roger Williams who was ran out of uh, the Massachusetts Bay Colony for uh, believing in the individual liberty of man, and he didn't fit in with the Puritans, so they ran him out, and he bought some land off the Indians, which we know is Rhode Island, and he started a town there called Providence. Mm-hmm. God providentially put him there. Yes. And, um, wait, I wish, I, I, I really do wish that America at least had an understanding that there is a God right now. We're having to argue with atheists and prove the existence of a God before we can tell them that he sent his son to the earth, whose name is Jesus. And he died on the cross in our place to take away our sins. And by faith, we can be reconciled to God through him. Yes. Instead, we're spending most of our time talking to people who deny the existence of something creating this. Mm-hmm. I mean, right. they literally think you could put all the parts to a, a high dollar stopwatch in a box and shake it until it all came together perfectly and was running on time. Yes. They deny the, the necessity for a creator, even though they live in a creation that testifies that. This stuff doesn't happen by chance mm-hmm. against the laws of nature for something to come out of nothing Yes, against the yes. laws of nature. It's against the laws. Every action, there must be an equal, but opposite reaction. They think all this started without an outside force. It's just, it's just another effort by man to, to say there is no God and I hate him. Mm-hmm. That's so true. So true. Well, man, I tell you what, I, I've enjoyed, I love history. I do too. And I certainly love American history and how the Lord providentially allowed us to even uh, become, a, become a nation. And we, we give glory to God. We, we still live as, as horrible as a country she is today, morally. We still live in the best country in the world. Okay. And we pray that God in his mercy would, uh, would bring a revival send a revival and a major reformation. We certainly need it, sir. Well, I think that wraps up. I think providentially we're done, brother Wade. I believe so. (laughs) I want to thank you guys for tuning in today. Uh, Do take a little interest in the history of America. Learn where you came from. Learn that when you start looking at all the things that had to transpire for us to be in the position we're in today, you really have to be blind and hard hearted to the fact that God and divine providence established this country in the way that it was. And God by divine providence has brought it thus far. And if God ever chooses to take his hand off of us and allow us to go the way we're headed, we will be divinely done as a country. So that's right. I want to thank you all for tuning in today. May God richly bless you.